Big Scuba Podcast. This is Ian. And this is Gemma. I didn't think you was going to call in then. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. So you're tuned in to the Big Scuba Podcast. Welcome back. Um, First off, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, crack on with our YouTube channel, have a look, see what's going on on there and subscribe, please do. So Gemma, this is episode... 20. 20, yes. And just had a quick look, 20 is, do you know on Wikipedia, 20 <laughs> is the natural number following 19 and preceding 21. Blimey, that's a fact. Wik- well, there you go. Thanks for Wikipedia for clearing that one. <laughs> Who knew? I'd say it's two decades. It is, yeah. Um, just over that. Yeah, right. me too. Right. Okay, so what's been happening, Gemma? What's been happening on the big scuba fund? We've just had a load of uh, little big chats, haven't we? Yeah, we had a great day, a whole Friday, talking to lots of interesting and people of variety as well. Yeah, we certainly did. We like a bit of uh, variety. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. Um, who did we have? We had uh, John and Brett from Night at 90. Hello to you two guys. Night uh, at 90, really exciting company. They're not just about scuba diving. They, no. get phone calls from, they get phone calls from the FBI. Anyway, so we also, so hello to you two. Um, hello to Lydia from the IKSAC, which stands for Ilkeston and Kimberley Sub Aqua Club. Well done. And we didn't in practice that at all, did we? No, no, and that's a great little club in quite yeah. uh, landlocked as well. They, they, they're one of the most uh, central. They are actually. They're probably one of the most furthest away from the sea. Do you know, anywhere in the UK, the furthest you can be away from the sea is seventy-five miles, I believe. In, that's in about right. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. So yeah. also, we need to speak to say hello to Gareth from um, Non Plastic Beach. Really Gareth exciting Beach. company as well. Got loads of environmentally uh, friendly products which that will be coming out very soon uh hello to jill and ashley from miss scuba uk international um it was great hearing all about that what they're up to and and hello to simon morris simon morris we spoke to um who uh deals with he's a sculptor underwater sculptor yeah and he's in the far west coast of Canada. Salt Island, near yeah. north of Vancouver. Yeah, beautiful looking place. Mm. And we also spoke to uh, a bit later was uh, Richard Cullen and some of the guys from Depth Therapy. The two um, Toms, yeah. Yeah, so, and that was brilliant, wasn't it? That was uh, really great hearing their life experiences. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and it all tied up nicely that evening because we had a quiz with Ilkeston and Kimberley sub aqua club so they held it richard and tom hosted it and even andy talbot appeared on it and i did as well yeah. So, yeah, all friends of the podcast let's just say hello to mr torbett hello mr torbett hello mr torbett mm-hmm. so who've we, we got on this episode we've got i was really excited about this because um i find this subject actually really quite fun when we were doing this it only turned out we, we only really um spoke to these to sort of have a quick sort of chat didn't we really and mm. then once we got into it it's like really and it just got more fascinating more exciting and you just thought can you come back for more because we want to know more <laughs> you know spoke to them some more and it just kind of really ran out of time didn't we because they're in ecuador 
and how many hours were they behind us? Oh, it was eight, eight or nine, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it was just, uh, it, when you're listening to this, it was just absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I, I was like, tell me more, tell me more, I want to know more. Yeah, um, that's amazing. So hello, so hello to Jonathan and Jenny from the Galapagos Whale Shark Project. Hello to them. And, you know, it's really great. And also, if you keep listening, right at the end, there's some details about a competition that we've got coming up. Also involving our friends at the Galapagos Whale Shark Project and our other friends and partners, the Fourth Element. Yeah. So a little competition coming out is for the um, all part of this episode and July. So I think that is it, isn't it, Jim? Yes, we just need to say a big hello to you, our patrons out there. Um, also to John as well, our yeah, most outstanding uh, patrons. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. And also you can be a patron as well. You can be a octopus, you can be a dolphin, you can be an orca, or you can be a blue whale. All you've got to do is go to our patron site, join in the fun, and you can join in with our um episodes as well okay. yeah and all the links are on the website as well so even you don't have to go to the patreon site just go to our website and all the links to youtube patreon social media and all the podcast platforms are there as well so anyway enough of me rattling on i know that's what you're thinking so <laughs> let's let's, let's get into episode no 20 <laughs> yeah, enjoy this is brilliant i enjoyed this <laughs> We'll be back at the end. So, yeah, enjoy the episode. You might be. I'm going to die. See you later. <laughs> what does it all come down to? I've never lost myself without you. Anxiety around me. But should I frighten? Where are you in the world? Are you on the Galapagos or are you on the mainland? Um, we're on the mainland. So that's the Andes. Uh, and behind that is the Amazon, the Amazon jungle. So we're about three hours drive from the top of the jungle. And next to the Andes, Eurystes. What's that? Next to the Andes is Eurystes. <laughs> it's an old joke. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us anyway. You know, that's very good okay. of you to uh, spare some time. Yeah, we're now preparing our research. So we are now in the final steps to uh, really ordering everything and getting everything ready. So right. it's exciting time right now. Because yeah. Have you been out of, have you been in lockdown until quite recently? Yeah, until yesterday. Yes, yes, until yesterday. We had martial law and a curfew uh, from uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, 2 p.m. till 5 a.m. Really? So no, no movement. Um, and then vehicles were out, allowed out once once a week, depending on registration number. Uh, so yesterday, they've got a traffic light system here, so we went from red to orange yesterday, uh, hoping that it'll, it will go speedily into green, uh, because they, you know, through necessity, you can imagine uh, most people live from hand to mouth here. So mm -hmm. it was uh, you know either die of starvation or go out and work. So about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, people started 
on their own without the government, just you know, ending it. So people are just wandering up and down, selling whatever fruit and vegetables they can. You know, yeah. it's pretty pretty tough. So I think we've already gone through our second wave of infection. Yeah, the official opening up was yesterday, and Galapagos is supposed to be opening uh, in some form manner uh, on the first of July, but we still don't know exactly how. Yeah, we're sort of waiting to see because we've got uh, everything is. Uh, we we had to actually um, say yes about three months ago um, to this trip and say, okay, we'll go ahead as if it's going to happen because all the satellite tags that need to be custom made and then programmed and everything. And so they're, these are one-offs, you know, these, it's not a production. And so they said, okay, well, do you want to do them this year? So if we said no, then that would have meant no research this year. So I said, okay, go ahead guys. And we're just now waiting for the final the green light. It's, yeah. <laughs> fingers yeah, crossed. It's bit, yeah, fingers mm -hmm. crossed. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We wanted to get you guys on, is that we've just gone live with an episode with Monty Hall. And Monty mm -hmm. Hall was talking about the Galapagos. And also, uh, he just recently had his book out and also TV programs where he, he moved him and his family to the Galapagos and life on the Galapagos Island and dive mm -hmm. in there. So we thought it'd be really great because we'd already started the conversation, I think, oh, a few weeks ago, haven't we? About you know, um, sort of finding out a little bit about you. So could you sort of just introduce yourselves and give us the basics of who you are and, you know, what, what, you, what you actually do and, you know, what, uh, what the project's about? Okay, perhaps um, it would be good then just to uh, clarify the two, um, the two organisations that we both represent because I work principally with the Galapagos Whale Shark Project, which yeah. is a purely scientific project. And Jenny... Uh, created a couple of years ago a dive company which is a commercial entity but it is um, aimed at supporting the science so the divers that come and dive with us actually pay a we call it a small donation they make a small donation which mm. is written into the cost of the trip and that helps support the science in some shape form or manner usually buying satellite tags or paying for satellite tag time or something which which is operational which is sort of desperate to the the needs of the project. So we've got two different um, projects or organizations. So I don't know if you want us to individually introduce those. The science project, what are you hoping to do? What's the aim? Well, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a broad question. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history. So, well, my name, as you, you know, uh, is Jonathan Green. I'm originally from the UK. I did my first open water dive actually in Anglesey, in Trailer Bay. Uh, so in the rather chilly waters of the Irish Sea, and uh, most of my early diving was actually around the UK, down in the South Devon, Cornwall uh, areas. So uh, after leaving university, I graduated in combined sciences, geography and geology. I traveled a fair amount and then was fortunate enough to end up getting a place on the uh, naturalist uh, guides course with the Galapagos National Park. Uh, this is going back to the late 80s. Um, okay. Uh, already a qualified diver, I became a dive master in the Galapagos. And about two years after beginning to dive in the Galapagos, you can imagine having gone from, you know, the, the, the English Channel, the North Sea, Atlantic and, uh, and Irish Sea, uh, Galapagos was, a, was a pretty much a revelation for me. Okay. Because one, you could see further than the reach. <laughs> and secondly, the water was warm and absolutely heaving with, uh, with wildlife. My first encounter with the whale shark I think is what really started all of this uh, and I think if anyone has uh, encountered a whale shark they know what I'm talking about it's a, it's a pivotal moment in life uh, okay. when you come face to face with this enormous animal 
just as an aside, and I'll talk more about this later, whale sharks in Galapagos tend to be much, much bigger than all of the other areas around the world where you can snorkel or dive with them. Uh, the reasons for that we don't absolutely understand, but Galapagos is predominantly females. We've got almost 100%, we're at 99.8% of our observations are female. Mm. And 97% of those are adults, uh, ranging between about 10 and 15 meters. So enormous animal. Um, rest, the rest of the places around the world where you can, as I say, swim, snorkel, dive with them, they tend to be about 70% juvenile males, ranging between four and seven meters. So, you know, about half the size of the ones in Galapagos, which are absolutely huge. So you don't forget that for the contact. As soon as I got back to, to Puerto Yoro and got back into to any kind of place with a connection, I started talking to scientists working in Galapagos and scientists that I had contact with. And I asked a series of questions. Why are the whale sharks in Galapagos? What are they doing? Where are they coming from? Where are they traveling to? Uh, where are they birthing? Because they're of a viviparous giving birth to live young um, from internal incubation. Where are the young living? Uh, where are they feeding? A whole series of questions. And I couldn't believe it, but the answer to every single one of those questions was, well, we don't know. And I think as a geologist, and of course, like every kid, I grew up with a fascination of dinosaurs. And I had two things that I really wanted to do in life as a kid. One was find the lost valley of the dinosaurs, which I knew right. was out there somewhere. And the other was the gateway to Narnia. So I, I actually think I found the two of them because it was like a fantasy come true. And there was this real life dinosaur uh, because whale sharks have been around on Earth for what, 70 million years uh, or more. So the two things sort of came together at that point. And I thought, well, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And I really wanted to go back to science, which is what I enjoyed. So I began an informal investigation at that time and called it the Galapagos Whale Shark Project. And everything really just grew from that. So I enlisted the, the help of the dive masters who were friends out there. We started uh, taking very basic data, um, more or less estimated size, water temperatures, uh, visibility, depth, behavior, and any distinguishing marks. And I think it was um, probably about three, four, maybe five years later, I realized that if we wanted to go any further with this project, it needed to be formalized and we needed to, to look at, uh, at actual science and how we can investigate whale sharks. And so one of the first things that we, we started with was photo identification because each whale shark has a unique pattern of spots on it. And the second one was satellite tagging. And that was when we ran, of course, into the, the problem of all science investigation or field work. And that is that we need major funding. Uh, and then it took about another 10 years until we got that funding and launched in 2010 the project which is today known as the Galapagos World Shark Project. So your biggest part of your funding comes from where? Um, it's been coming from, well, all, all private uh, funding, uh, which is then channeled through a couple of different institutions. In the UK, we work very closely with Galapagos Conservation Trust, which is based in London. Um, spoke I spoke to them today. You spoke to them today. Well, it's a very small world. I mean, the Galapagos world, uh, the diving world, the marine, you know, the ocean sciences and so on. Uh, so inevitably, we got in, in, in touch a few years back and they said, well, it's a fantastic project. We'd love to work with you. And I said, likewise. And so they've, they've been uh, very, very active in helping to coordinate funding uh, in the UK for the project. And then other funding has come in, as I say, mostly from private sources. People who've been to Galapagos uh, have a, a, you know, an attachment, an emotional attachment to Galapagos or a love of the oceans. And so they want to help in some, in some manner. So uh, it's, it's not a cheap um, or inexpensive venture. Uh, a satellite tag costs anywhere between about two to $5,000 just for the tag, depending 
depending on whether you're going for the uh, the basic model or the or the luxury model. Uh, How and, long and do they last? How long do uh, the tags last? Also depends on the satellite itself. So we've got some tags uh, which are um, fairly short-lived. They'll, they'll last six months, um, which are um, they're pop-off tags, so they're archival tags. So hopefully they pop off either at the end of a specific period, four, five, six months, or when the animal dives too deep. So if it goes beyond about uh, 1,800 meters, um, mm -hmm. crush rate or pressure at that uh, depth is absolutely enormous. And so they pop off at that time, float to the surface, and then they transmit. But obviously if you have a floating tag, the battery capacity is much, much lower than if you have a tag which is attached to an animal. You can have higher battery uh, capacity or capability. And then we've got tags which will last for up to 1,500 days, three and a half years. So it, it depends on the model, the version, and, and the information that you're trying to get from that tag as well. So to cut a long story short, we've been working now for about a decade. Uh, the first piece of information that came up that really mystified us, the scientific world, the dive community, everybody really involved, was the fact that we had this very, very highly skewed population of females. Uh, and nobody can really answer the, the, the question as to why it is that we have almost 100% feeding carpets. Something else we've observed is that they're not generally feeding. So whale sharks, when you see them elsewhere in the world, you know, their, their mouths are agape and they're mm -hmm. sort of swimming through usually plankton-rich or uh, invertebrate-rich waters. And they're, they're binge feeding in these very, very rich biological soups as they're filter feeding. And that's not the case in Galapagos. And in fact, where we have over 90% of our sightings uh, are some of the most um, nutrient-poor waters in Galapagos, the warmer water, which doesn't have a great deal of food. So they're, they're not there for feeding. The males aren't there, so we assume that they're not breeding unless the males are somewhere hidden out of sight that we can't find them, you know, way deep down or something out of where we're diving. Um, so the likelihood then is if you remove everything else, I think this comes from Sherlock Holmes, once you've removed all the, all the possible, no matter how impossible what remains, uh, is almost certainly the truth. Uh, so it could be that they're birthing in Galapagos. And that is really the goal of the project right now, to discover if Galapagos plays a role in birthing. And if they are giving birth in Galapagos, where are the neonates? Where are they living? And where are they living for their first uh, three, four, five, six years of life? Because we just don't see them. And they're not seen anywhere around the world either. Is it possible they're going deep? It, it is possible they're going deep. And that was one of the things that we first wanted to look at was diving behavior and the uh, Minipat uh, archival tags gave us the first clue because you can see, uh, I will share with you some, some graphs so you can see this very, very visibly. You've got a lot of you know, small micro uh, dive movements going on between zero and 50 or zero and 100 meters, which is really you know, the very, very, very top of the ocean. And then once in a while, they'll make these dives down to about 500, 600, 800 meters. And we think that it's possible that they're birthing somewhere on the Galapagos platform, which is 100,000 square kilometers of rock and cryptic environments, where they would be potentially safe away from uh, you know, predators such as other sharks, because they're almost indefensive, um, mm. these, these, these little baby whale sharks. They have no natural defense except possibly diving. So it, it may be that they're, they're birthing deep down, and then when they become big enough, uh, they, they, they start swimming up, they become pelagic as opposed to a epipen, uh, and that's when we start seeing them elsewhere around the world. But all of this is a hypothesis, and that was a little bit of what we were trying to prove when we worked with the BBC, because the Blue Planet team came out about four years ago, and they said, would you be interested in working a little bit with us uh, and offering us all sorts of enticements, like a couple of um, submersibles, <laughs> which are hard to refuse, uh, on, a, on a bit of a goose chase, but... Uh, it was a fascinating one, and we were the first team, I think, ever to record 
whale sharks from a submersible. And I remember wow. when the BBC first got in touch, they said, so do you think, you know, we could find a, a whale shark with a submersible? And I said, oh, absolutely. It's never been done before. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we, we went out there and we, we did. We were, we were lucky enough to, to observe them. They were very curious and swam around. And that was the footage that was shown. They started going around this? Yeah, it swam around. It swam around. I mean, I'll tell you more about that later. It was pure, pure luck that we got the shot because we had a, a massive technical failure. Oh. Uh, due, due to human error. We lost the feed to the cabin and everything went black, so we thought the cameras were not filming. I uh, managed to cut through the fiber optic cable. The feed, the feed to the, uh, yeah, but the camera was still recording. Uh, so the material went into the hard drives. We couldn't see it. And Richard Woolacombe, who was uh, sitting just next to me, uh, then grabbed a secondary camera, started filming from inside. And so we, we literally got everything that they wanted because he had two cameras running. Wow. And Mark, the, uh, Mark Taylor, the pilot, uh, the camera was in a, a vertical position and was acting like a massive rudder. So he couldn't steer the submersible. So he dropped it into a horizontal position and that right. happened to catch the whale shark. No way. I'm not sure if we tell that story, but <laughs> I guess the cat's out of the bag. He was, he was all, what, I didn't catch the name of the guy who was next to you. So Richard, Richard Wallacombe, uh, who did a lot of the BBC Galapagos footage. Uh, right. So he was sitting in the jump seat next to me. And then behind, of course, we had Mark Taylor, who was one of the two pilots of the submersible. And uh, he was the one who actually then just, uh, because he needed to steer the, the sub as we were lifting up off the bottom, he then just maneuvered the camera, which we thought was no longer filming, into a horizontal position. And, uh, you know, end, enter stage right. It was as if it was magically planned. So one of the behind the scenes stories. That Timing is everything. Timing and luck, uh, just incredible. So anyway, that was, that's, that's a little bit about the project and what we're trying to do in Galapagos. Um, it's been a, a fantastic journey so far. We've got a long, long way to go. Um, but Jenny has been working with us now for, um, I think, three years with the project and decided to launch uh, another arm, if you like, of the, uh, of the project, which was to somehow involve commercial diving with uh, with Galapagos and I there yeah. the history. Well, then I would also start with just introducing myself. My name is Jenny and I have the pleasure for nearly five years, no, four years to work yeah. with the project. So I um, learned a lot this time about whale sharks, about sharks, about what we know and especially what we do not know. And I thought for myself that it would be nice to have a possibility on the one hand to support the project to obviously get funding but also to create a platform for other divers that might not have a, a study in biology or a scientific background like me um, and still want to help shark conservation and there's so many ways as a diver can support like we mentioned the photo idea already and that you not only have the whale sharks you have it with mantas you have it with different animals and we try to yeah, educate a little bit on our dive trips. We tell yeah. what we all discovered about whale sharks, what we're doing and how we discover what we know about whale sharks and also how they can support um, in general. So yeah. Are all the dives that you do, are they all around the whale sharks or do you look taking other species or other so yeah, mainly we have our um, tours in Galapagos. So we obviously specialized in whale shark diving. Um, but we also do have now trips to Cocos, where we also have, of course, whale sharks, but not as often as in Galapagos, where we more look into shark conservation and a little bit around that. 
and also yeah. one trip um, to Indonesia. But the focus is mainly on Galapagos and Cocos because I don't know um, if you know, there's also a swimway between them both. So it's now proven due to the project that we have connection between us and Galapagos with whale sharks and other species of shark. Was, was, uh, you know, commercial diving has been going on now probably since, I guess, the late 80s, early 90s is where it really started to take off. Uh, but no one is really looking perhaps at the, how commercial divers can help science. Um, yeah. There's, there's a huge platform out there now with, with things like whalesharp.org, uh, which is the global database for divers anywhere in the world, or snorkels as well, um, that can upload their images of whale sharks, mantas, or turtles. Uh, there's a whole bunch of species that you can work with. And that kind of information is the grassroots material that, that scientists are working with. And almost certainly is a very, very powerful tool, because whereas we as scientists cannot necessarily travel to all places, you've got commercial divers that are using them. So yeah. the idea was to sort of link up the two. Uh, so although the, the dive trips that we're doing with, uh, with dive groups out there, we're not doing hands-on science. Uh, we're not you know, doing blood draw or draws or ultrasound or that kind of thing. We're doing with the science project itself. Um, one, because it's, you need trained people to do this, obviously, uh, and it would be dangerous for non-trained people probably to do it. Um, but also the way that people can help is, is by, as I say, these non-invasive tools such as photo ID, yeah. studying behavior and all that sort of thing. So it was to try and bring the two together. Mm. And there's a huge, there's a wealth of information which is out there, which is not. So, and what's your sort of plan for the next year or the next two years, is it? For the project? Mm. Uh, well, we're still uh, hoping that in July uh, this year, so in almost exactly one month from now, we would uh, head out to the Galapagos. It depends on whether or not the quarantine measures are you know, within the practical realm of actually being able to get a team out there. Most of the team is, is already either out there or is based here in Ecuador. So a lot of us are local, you know, part of the local team. Unfortunately, the international team are not going to be able to join us. I mentioned just a moment ago that we'd done uh, ultrasound work, and that was, that was also the first ever in the world that we were able to get ultrasound images of the reproductive organs of the, the whale sharks. So I think it's the first successful ultrasound wow. of a free-swimming whale shark in 2000. That could have been easy. <laughs> no, it, that wasn't easy. That's another funny story. But we have a secret weapon, which is uh, it's half fish and half, half uh, human. Uh, we've, we've got uh, a couple of divers from Okinawa from the research center in the aquarium that do, uh, they're, they're a couple of whales, um, experts on ultrasound because they use ultrasound with the, the aquarium uh, species of course and so that they have i think the only professional level ultrasound unit which is in a solid uh, chunk of aluminium so they have this custom made um, which is like a housing it weighs 14 kilos uh, the single unit itself so the, the diver Rui doesn't need a, a weight belt it's a briefcase it looks like a doctor's black bag uh, yeah, suitcase, yeah. So he takes that down. He's got a little jet, uh, you know, thruster on the back, battery powered uh, thruster. No way. Yeah, and he's like a he's like a ninja. He's like an underwater ninja. Um, so when we we're sitting on the the rocks, waiting for a whale shark to go by. So what we're trying to do is we've got one person who's got a usually um, a handheld spear with a biopsy tip. Uh, we've got another person who's going to be tagging. Uh, we've got one person that's doing photo ID. Another person that is trying to take a blood sample from either the pelvic or the pectoral fins, 
Uh, we've got a safety diver who's trying to watch and keep an eye on everybody. And everybody's just focused on what they're doing, so they're not watching the other divers. The whale shark sort of swims in. The team goes out, and we all try and get on with our work. So um, usually the tagger goes in first uh, and, and then gets out of the way. Photo ID is just going on whenever, how that can be done. Blood draw, biopsy, and ultrasound are all going on at the same time. The whale shark continues swimming by, and usually we have about an average of 45 seconds. So the whole procedure takes five seconds. Wow. How fast does the whale swim? Um, the fastest that we clock them usually is about 3.8 knots. Now, the fastest Olympic swimmers, I think, are doing about uh, 2.3 to 2.5 yeah. knots on average. Uh -huh. So a diver with fins can just about swim like an Olympic swimmer. So you can keep up with them for a short yeah. period of time. Uh, but it really is. It's, it's a marathon. So you just, you, you just head out. Usually we sound a little uh, shaker or a rattle. Um, so we've got watchers on either side. They sound the alarm. The divers all head out, even though you can't see it. You just try and follow any pair of fins which is in front of you. <laughs> then you see the shape sort of starting to loom, uh, or shadows starting to loom. Head towards it. Everybody does their thing, and you just hope that everybody can then get back towards the rocks. Because sometimes you just get swept off by the currents. Yeah, okay. There. That's so not an easy dive. It's not an easy dive, which is why we don't generally do it with uh, commercial dive groups, because it would yeah. be a safe operation. Your uh, chances yeah. of retrieving your divers are pretty low. I um, heard, yeah. I was, when I watched the video that you sent, and um, I, I was listening to the guy breathing, who was taking mm -hmm. the, the video, and you could really hear him huffing and puffing on the, on the race. Yes. Yeah. And that must have been quite a swim to try and keep up with that. It is quite a swim, and often the, the whale sharks are heading into the current. So we're not just swimming um, with the whale shark, we're heading into a current as well. And for them, it's effortless. And yeah. fortunately, some of the time, because they're curious, you know, these huge, great big animals, they often sense that something is going on or they maybe see a diver or they catch view of the diver out of, their, out of the side of their eyes. Because we often, we usually try and approach um, at a 45 degree angle from the back. Uh, so we're approaching towards the flanks and towards the head. You never come in generally directly towards the head unless it swims right at you. So they're, they're often unaware that there are divers there, but sometimes they'll catch a glimpse. They'll stop swimming and actually turn around and look directly at the divers in the water. They're often very curious. Yeah. Uh, and they seem completely unperturbed by this whole process, procedure going on around them. And off they go. They, they then swim away. You wouldn't want to get caught by the, the tail, would you? Because that would soon no. give you a whack. Yeah, we've had a couple of serious injuries. In fact, two of our divers, one of them was one of the Japanese, team and one of them was the, one of the local Galapagos team and they were they were fairly seriously uh, bruised fortunately no no uh, breakages or internal bleeding mm. that's the one thing you've got to watch out for it's it weighs about as much as a Volkswagen Beetle and is traveling at about 30 miles an hour so. we pulled some stats to compare them against a London bus okay <laughs> yeah. well the size of it yes yeah, size and weight um, would be uh, not like a double-decker but, but sort of like a single single decker bus, but yeah, yeah. you, you still clear the, the tail, not, not because they're trying to hit you or anything, but if they do try and accelerate for any reason, which is unusual. Yeah, just amazing. So, I mean, just sorry to finish off with the, the, the second part of your question, what we hope to do over the next two years. We had originally two trips planned for this year, but as with the rest of the, the planet, we had to modify, change, adapt to what, we, what can be done this year. Uh, so I think we're lucky in the fact that we will be doing any kind of work whatsoever, but mm. we, want, we want continuity as well. Uh, so we plan a, a tagging trip and also blood draw because we want to look at the hormonal 
chemical hormonal levels as an indicator of possible pregnancy. And we'd like to compare it in different times of the season to see if there's a possibility that they come in and they're, they're evidently or probably um, pregnant looking at their, their blood chemistry. And then when they leave, they, they may not be yeah. uh, pregnant. And that would indicate that they're possibly then giving birth within the region. Um, so that's the work for this year. And then next year, we hope to get the whole team back together again, which comes from, we've got people from Switzerland, Australia, New Zealand, United States, UK, uh, obviously Ecuador and Galapagos. So the whole team hopefully enjoy Got a question for you then. Yeah. So what's been the most surprising thing you've learned about them, that which you thought, wow, do I, that's amazing? Um, looking at the satellite tracks, I, I think everything we discover, because almost everything you discover is new to science. As I mentioned earlier on, all of the, the, the best scientists around the world, marine biologists, who say, well, we just don't know. So anything that we discover is new to science, which for me is the most exciting part of it. It doesn't matter what you do and what you discover, yeah. it's brand new. <laughs> and there are a few fields on Earth where you can still work in that. Yeah. Um, but the deep, the deep ocean is, is one of them. So any piece of data that we, we discover is exciting. But for me, one of the most fascinating things apart from where they might be giving birth, which is the, uh, you know, that's equivalent to finding the lost city of Atlantis or <laughs> <laughs> the gateway to the to Narnia or whatever, um, is how they're moving and how they're, they're traveling enormous distances across the oceans. And part of that has been hinted by the, the satellite tracks that we're looking at. Because when we use the, the dive behavior um, tracking models and we use the, the surface, because you've got one... One tag which is just giving you surface reading. So it'll give you, okay, it surfaces, the antenna comes up, wet dry sensors then say, okay, you can transmit a signal, just like a GPS. So you know it's at point A, then it pops up at point B. There might be a thousand kilometers between the two, but what it's done underwater, of course, is a mystery. And the other tag helps then to, to fill in that, uh, that, that, uh, that space. Um, and what we're now seeing is that they're using benthic features, geological features. So uh, features as big as the margin between two plate tectonic uh, or, or two plates, ocean plates. So you've got yeah. the Cocos Plate to the north, which is where uh, Cocos Island is situated. Then you've got the Galapagos Rift System, and to the south you've got the Nazca Plate. And they're actually going up into the Rift System uh, and then swimming westwards along the Rift System, following basically the, the margin between those two plates. Uh, and you can see how from there they then head off towards the East Pacific Rise using a series of sea mounts along the way. And we can see that uh, visually because of the, the track data. But what we don't know is how they're orienting and how they're finding their way. So if you're looking at something which is maybe 500 kilometers in that direction, uh, due north, due southeast or west or whatever, how do you know when there are no signposts or visual cues, so you don't have a mountain or a tree or a T-junction or signposts to send them. Um, temperature may be a factor that they're using to a certain extent. And we've, we've done modeling looking at the equatorial front. And you can see uh, they're mm. using very, very specifically an area which is between 24 and 26 degrees Celsius. Um, but we think that they're using geolocation, geomagnetic. So like so many species, like turtles that travel for 15 years, 20 years and then return to the beach from which they hatched on which they hatched it's almost certainly magnetic or geomagnetic location so they're using magnetic orientation behavior the animal might be swimming uh, superficially in the top 100 meters or on the surface because we can see it's pinging and transmitting and yet it reaches a right angle or a hundred degree turn and it stops here swims around a little bit 
and then heads in this direction. Amazing. When they come around the spiral, and that spiraling is like the turning of a compass. So our tags reach until 1,800 meters, more mm. or less, and we do know they dive deeper. We don't know why, but for me, it's like, I mean, an animal that can dive that deep is just incredible. Because when you see how many, oh, how many meters other sharks are diving, I mean, the whale shark is definitely the deepest diving shark. And it's just incredible. And we, we, we need to know more because, you know, they are unfortunately been targeted by, uh, by industrial chains. So yeah, right now, endangered. So, yeah, we need to know more and, and find out how we can protect them. Yeah, so I've, I've got a question. Uh, they follow the same sort of route and they're following these uh, between the, the two plates. Now, do they, are they like some like herd where they follow? They're certainly using the same route and we see their tracks crossing over each other. Uh, but the, the spatial uh, element there would indicate that they're not doing it together. There doesn't appear to be any kind of social behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, and so unless there's a meeting point somewhere through space and time, they wouldn't probably be together. So it's unlikely that you're going to get any kind of schooling behavior or social behavior. So we see these individuals coming through. So we're looking at a period of maybe five or six months. That's something which Jenny just mentioned. Um, what is the, the whale shark season in Galapagos? Yeah. Uh, we're looking, they're starting to arrive May, June. They're building up numbers in July, August, September. October, they're probably fewer. And by November, they're, they're getting down to lower numbers. December, they're starting to disappear. And we usually don't see whale sharks except for the odd incidental individual that travels through uh, in all of the months of January, February, March, April. So the season is fairly long and the numbers we're looking at are possibly 1,500 individuals, we, we estimate statistically, are moving through Galapagos during that period. Now it might not sound like many numbers. If you look at the African plains and the wildebeest migration, where you've got literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of individuals traveling together, one of the Earth's greatest migrations. Uh, in Galapagos, these would be um, maybe three to five individuals a day are coming through that area. And when they get to Darwin Island up in the north, they're only spending a very, very short period of time there. On average, 48 to 72 hours is the maximum time that they're in and around Darwin. And we know that because you know, we're, we're, tra we're tracking the, um, the individuals on a daily basis and we look and see it's helped. Yes, we saw that one yesterday on dive three in the afternoon and it spent the whole following day with us. We saw it twice during dives and then you don't see it again. Uh, and when you look at the satellite tag, we tag them and then off they go. They don't stick around close or for the most part, they don't. So yeah, as so. Jonathan said, we can identify each individual. And so we do know that this whale shark was there. So they have a pattern on their side. And we are now, I mean, that's one, that's one of the most important things that we'll begin to be able to analyze is that the more divers in the water taking photographs, not just in Galapagos, but worldwide, the better we'll be able to identify frequency, site fidelity, um, rates of return uh, with the other world tracks and other oceans. Yeah, connectivity. Yeah. This is one single species. This is the other mystery. Um, Rincon and Tipus is one single species worldwide, which tells you, um, you know, there, there is no absolutely no doubt there's genetic connectivity. Otherwise, you'd have two species or three species or, you know, a hundred species. So there must yeah. be genetic connectivity where there's genetic connectivity, it's physical. So, yes, they're traveling all the way around the, the oceans. So all of that information you can get from things like PhotoLake, which is low yeah. tech, low cost science. If for somebody who is interested, come out and actually dive, um, and they they look on your website. So what sort of category, how sort of experienced diver have they got to be to actually come and do one of your um, dive trips? 
Um, it should be a diver that is experienced. So usually we would recommend advanced open water or open water with the facility um, deep diving. So you can go deeper than 18 meters. And it should be between 30 to 50 dives. So usually 50 dives is an experience where you say that is fine for Galapagos. And said that it always depends where you did dive and where you get your experience and how confident you feel underwater. So a person who might have 30 dives and dived in Ireland or other waters where you have not the yeah, easiest condition, are right. um, more probably better prepared than someone with it. But then yeah. there's usually the average what we say to audience. Because as Jonathan said, we do have currents up and down and twelve sometimes. And it's just about how you then stay. It's not difficult diving, but you yeah. should have this. Yeah, should no, that is true. Yeah, that, that is true. Because there's a quite a bit of difference between if all, if 50 dives have always been in an inland lake in you know in the UK yeah. and with no sea dives. So uh, yeah, it's quite a bit it's quite a bit of difference. And uh, if something did come along, um, you know, it's gonna be pretty they're not tech dive they're not um technical dives and they're not going to be particularly all that deep no, the no you, the, the maximum depth normally with the dive groups would be 30 meters yeah um, most of our diving when we're up in the north we're hanging around um 17 to 20 meters uh you know on the rock ledges and just looking out so you've got a physical station in a rock where you can you can stay and if divers don't want to go out into the blue there's no pressure for them to do so yeah. so yeah. because you have the big schools like in a cinema you're hanging on your rock and the sharks are just swimming by like we're in mind watching incredible yeah definitely because yeah. we usually do not go deeper than 30 meters as jonathan said i mean there are just a few reasons sometimes maybe to go deeper we had one um, dive spot where we see the red lip bed fish where they are sometimes deeper but usually 30 meters the limit and yeah. their nitrox yeah. yeah, as you say, divers coming out to Galapagos, uh, nitrox would, you know, be perhaps uh, beneficial, a good, good qualification to yeah. have. As well with liverboards, because liverboards, I know they're they're looking at, you know, is somewhere like the Galapagos is a great place to now sort of come out and, uh, you know, look for. Hopefully, now starts opening up for everybody. You know, that'll be a place where some of your liverboards will come and they can get involved in some of the helping the research as you said you know if they see a, a shoal of certain fish or whale sharks they can report it what they're seeing the numbers they can everybody can get involved like that can't they yeah in fact there's an app uh, for that you talk about that yeah, yeah so um, one hand is the photo id where we have in a global database the um, whalesharp.org so everyone who sees a whale shark and takes it can upload it there yeah. And on the other hand, what Jonas mentioned, it's an app, it's called Shark Count, and it's um, from scientists in the Galapagos for each dive site. So you are there as a diver and count how many sharks you see. And what the scientists are doing is always to then look how the numbers are changing, how it's changing over the season, and to get an idea how sharks are moving and when they're there, when they're not there. Um, for example, the best example is whale sharks. When do we see whale sharks? So we have liverboards the whole year around in Galapagos, in these places. And who else to ask best than the divers what they saw on their dives? Yeah. And then to obviously see which shark species are there and uh, what you... So do people know about that app? 
before they go out or do you brief them about that when they get on um, get on board we as you, i usually write an email because the internet is not always the best in galapagos so it's definitely easier to download it before and some divers that are on our cruise they already were in the app and checked a little bit and look how to handle it um, we in our cruises explain it and it's also self-explaining so everyone who's also going on a different level port can still use it so that's not a that's good then so yeah, if someone yeah. like say blue o2 had liverboard out in around the galapagos area and their mm -hmm. dive divers were uh, let's say seeing different whale sharks they can use that app get involved exactly yeah, uh, yeah. they can be a range of species so it's for uh, turtles rays uh, a couple of i think dolphins are included now uh, and they're also now bringing out a version number two which can be for small as well so even if you go to Galapagos and you're just going snorkeling you can participate for citizen scientists. yeah yeah that'd be good yeah because we need the tourist boats and everybody to, to now you know once the lockdown is starting to lift is that tourists start, tourists start coming back to the area yeah yeah and one of the sectors which has most suffered I think of course during this period uh, is the tourist sector because they've been shut down totally and a lot of these yeah. operations especially in in remote areas like Galapagos, you know, the people that work there don't have anything back to fall, anything to fall back yeah. on. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely encouraging people to come come back out and, and uh, go diving in Galapagos. And there's a, there's a two, it's a, it's a two-pronged um, benefit right there because most of the patrolling which is done, which stops the illicit, illegal fishing, uh, is actually done by the tourist sector. So it's the simple presence of commercial dive boats in these very, very remote ocean areas, yeah. which is stopping the legal fishermen from moving in there. Uh, so we're heading up there with a little bit of trepidation in July, hoping that uh, we're not going to cross uh, scenes of uh, obvious yeah. fishing. So tourism, you know, you can say what you, what you, you think about it. So on, a lot of people uh, say that it's a, a bad thing, but uh, quite frankly, I think especially the, the marine ecosystem, it's a very, very positive thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what you don't understand you're not going to love and what you don't love you don't want to protect yeah um, well you can have sustainable tourism can't you so you know so the two do can they can go together yeah absolutely and as i say the liverboards in galapagos are the ones who are doing most of the patrolling so it's thanks to that industry that we've yeah. got uh, a very very well protected marine reserve yeah that's good. that's good to hear uh we've got the vessels which are um uh, operating as of the beginning of july so the first week of July, uh, we expect the first vessels to head out. And of course, it's, it's, it's a fairly low risk because you're not in touch and communication with, with big communities. Uh, you, you fly into one of the airports, get on a plane, fly to Galapagos, get on a boat, you're with a very you know, small circle of people. So, you know, yes, there are risks to travel, but there are risks at your local supermarket or, uh, you know, down the pub or cafe that you might go along the way. Yeah. So, and I don't think it's increased on that using common sense. I think by the beginning of July, there's no real reason why businesses shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. We're um, friends with Christina Zanato in the Bahamas. Um, obviously, she deals with the Caribbean reef sharks. So she, she was just saying, you know, why there's such an uh, imbalance between the females and the males in the Galapagos. Obviously, you're saying you're only seeing females and no males. So is that a science that you're still investigating or have you got any hunches? The honest answer is we don't know um, and again if we could answer that question then I think we're a long way to understanding why it is that they're going to Galapagos but as I mentioned earlier on 
the fact that we have this massive skew in the population, and if you look at any natural population around the world of any species, uh, usually the only time that you get, let's say, 100% of one sex or 100% of the other is when you have uh, manifestations of certain behaviors, so a lack of certain bird species. Um, locally here we have, for example, the cock of the rock, which is one of the birds that uh, all ornithologists around the world want to tick off their list. And it's incredible to see early morning that you'll have maybe 30, 40, 50, 100 males all sitting in a tree together displaying. But the females are on the other side of the small valley or the canyon there, and they're watching. So it's a display which is being given by the males uh, to the females. So in that case, you've got both, uh, both sexes. To only have the one sex present would indicate that something is going on which does not require the presence of the other sex. So uh, <laughs> the only thing really probably in that case would be, would be the birthing. You know, feeding. Do they communicate by, by sound? Could they be doing that? That, that is an amazing um, question. And we did quite accidentally record some audio. Really? And the, the BBC Blue Planet team were very keen to uh, play that audio and show okay. the piece of, of the video because we were recording with a fin cam. We, we put a fin cam on the, on the whale shark. Um, managed, after losing the first fin cam, we managed to get the second one back. Had a whole series of adventures with that. But we didn't realize that, of course, it's very sensitive and it's recording all the time. And I was sitting on my own in the little research vessel one evening, and for some reason, I, my, my uh, audio was turned up, which is turned down. And I heard this very, very unusual roar. Uh, and it was, it was, if you can imagine a T-Rex, you know, in the Jurassic period, roaring away, um, then I think that's what it would sound like. The thing is, we don't know with absolute certainty whether it came from the whale shark or it came from something nearby. So three out of five experts said that um, it was definitely not mechanical. One sat on the fence and one said it is mechanical. Now, we don't think that there were other vessels in the water. When we looked at the timing of the uh, recording, as far as we can recall, there were no vessels uh, active and operating in the area. So we think that it comes from the whale shark, mm -hmm. but you can't simply throw it out there in front of an audience of a half a billion people, and then of course mm -hmm. it turns out it's really different. So it's a bit like um, the Loch Ness Monster. We're still, you know, the jury is still really? out on that one. Um, and we're going back, hopefully, to try and do some more fin camera work uh, and, and see if we can record some more audio. I'm not sure the no. jury is still out on the uh, Loch Ness Monster, is it, I really? <laughs> I think it will remain out. Um, funnily enough, I put it out on, on Facebook because I thought, okay, this is not, this is not uh, Area 51 here. It's not top secret or anything. We couldn't put it... Could we share uh, we shared it on, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We can send you the, the, the oh, posts. Yeah, we'll, we'll ask our listeners. You can do a poll and you can get people to listen to yeah. it. I recommend that they get a Bluetooth speaker and they turn it up to full volume and then they sit there and close their eyes. And if they, if they tell me it's, it's not a dinosaur, then, <laughs> then they have Send it over and we'll share it. We'll do a poll. Okay. That so that's what we did. We put it, we put it up on the... On the uh, uh, page and of course it got all sorts of comments from the you know the wacky to the funny to the you know are you guys kidding us or something sort of stuff but we did actually get somebody get in touch and it was a, a diver from the US that had done some studies in the in Baja California in uh, Mexico and she said that she had recorded similar sounds when there was a feeding frenzy going on of whale shark and that she wanted to actually do 
um, a master's or PhD thesis on the audio of whale sharks. She was told by her supervisors that it was far too random, and of course it is. Um, so she was never able to follow up on that. But from that, we then got a series of posts from other people saying, yes, I've heard this noise as well. So we've opened up a, um, yeah. a door perhaps, and we've also sent it out to a couple of labs, and all three of them have come back. Um, having analyzed specifically the, the frequencies and so on and said it's nothing that they can identify so it must be amazing to be dealing with such an unknown species it's, it's incredible yeah. that we know so much about the rest of the planet and then under the water is just yeah well we'll, say, we'll send you the, the videos it's you've yeah. got video visual and what is interesting to see to watch there is the behavior of the silky sharks that um that come and they if the, the, the whale sharks swimming on the silkies tend to rub across them and they're probably rubbing uh, parasites off their bodies. It's not a symbiosis because I don't think it benefits the whale shark in any manner, um, but it's possible the, the whale shark is reacting to the silky when it gets a little too close to the area of the eye. And that's something we've noticed. They don't like anything close. They immediately roll back and they, take, and they sort of close their eyes. Well, you know, I can't see you. you um, so it's possible that the, the whale shark was reacting to the proximity to the eye with the silky shark. But who knows? But, you know, absolutely delighted if you want to put it out there. And see yeah, what, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We, we've got um, like on Twitter quite a few like marine biologists that follow us and other sort of mm -hmm. scientists and what have you. So we'll share, we'll share it and get, do a poll and see, see what sort of um, discussion at start. And that'd be a good way to also link your details with it to get people to then follow you guys who are not already following you. And, you know, it'd be a good way of stirring things up to get more attention and hopefully more support for you two, you know, what you're doing. So that'd be really good. Yeah. Um, and on that note, uh, yeah, where do, if people who uh, follow it, who are listening to us now, where do they need to go to? Where do they need to find you to keep up to date with what's happening? Where are you on social media? So when we talk about the research project, so people want to know a little bit more about the whale sharks, we still have some um, facts on this webpage, it's the GalapagosWhaleShark.org. Okay. Um, and there we have a lot of things about the research project, what we're doing, how we do it, which satellite text we're using, for example. Um, also on social media, so Facebook and Instagram, it's uh, under the name Galapagos World Shark Project. And if people are interested to join us for one of our science, our citizen science dive trips, then it's the Galapagos Shark Diving. So it's a different entity, as we said, um, to the fact that we do citizen science and not um, tagging on trips. Okay. So it would be the GalapagosSharkDiving.com as internet address and also social media, Facebook, Galapagos Shark Diving. Yeah. Okay. So in normal, yeah. so normal times, how many people do you have on your dive trips in terms of like per year? Ah, per year. We only do um, dive trips in the whale shark season. So the highest possible sea whale sharks is in July, August, September. What is the reason that we only offer trip three months? Um, and per trip, we only take 14 passengers on board. So it's also a very small little group. We usually divide it in two groups. So if you're in the water, it's only seven divers in one group. What makes the experience quite incredible, small, and see the, the underwater world different. Yeah. And you yeah. supply the air for everything for the, for the dives? Do you, do you have your Pardon? own air? Do you supply the air to go with it? For the dives or do they have to go yeah. elsewhere no no um it's the liverboard you mean the air to uh, to go underwater yeah 
Yeah, yeah, it's a liverboard, uh, so it's an everyday yeah. liverboard, so it's on board, um, air okay. and also night drops, so the yeah. passenger have to, can choose what they want to dive. Right, okay. And yeah. Yeah, and then each group of seven will go with two dive masters, one yeah. from the Galapagos National Park and then one of us from the Galapagos Shadow. So it's a fairly good ratio of uh, sort of instructor to, to guest yeah, uh, underwater. More so safety increases, more yeah, increases the probability of, of good sightings and of course the safety. Because what we do underwater is huge. You have people who use a lot of air and a lot of some people who don't use a lot of air. So we then can continue with people who less air and go up with so that you do you like check dive first yeah yeah is it like yeah check dive first yeah great good yeah so cool. we'll do normally they fly in and then that same afternoon because you fly in in the morning into galapagos mm -hmm. that afternoon you'll do a check dive to make sure that your weights or your kit uh, is all working yeah. um people are comfortable in the water and uh, the usual yeah. stuff and then you don't go immediately up into the, uh, the the tougher dive sites if you like but you'll have a couple of easier dive sites along the way Head up to from Darwin, which is the usual yeah. highlights the spots that everyone's going down. Sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's a life changer. It's yeah, I uh, bet. We're going to Galapagos. Is that you want you want to go back again and again and again? And I kid you not. Uh, you know, I've been working there for uh, many years. I've had people who've come back and dive with me as twenty in the same in the same area. So that's. What? It is amazing. And one of the things that Monty said to us was that everybody who goes to the Galapagos comes away as an ambassador for the islands, you know, because they're just like, wow, it's just amazing. And, you know, absolutely, yeah. like, as you say, life changing trip. And that, that's certainly the hope with, with the Galapagos shark diving is that we can convince people of the importance of the oceans. So it's not just a recreational area or something yeah. you can go fun in. You know, it's giving a little bit back and also convincing people of the necessity, the absolute necessity of protecting our oceans. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and maybe this, this pandemic, you know, the COVID situation has been a red flag or a yellow flag, more likely, uh, from the planet just saying, you need to take that. And I think yeah, that's the right. message that we're trying to send out as well with the Galapagos Shark. Yeah, just yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So how long do your liverboards last? Is it a week or 10 days? So it's um, the normal one is eight days. Mm -hmm. um, but we have um, trips back and forth, so you also took 15 days or more. Um, we are working right now on a special itinerary 15 days, um, maybe starting into, um, as it always takes a little time with the National Park to plan special. Yeah. But theoretically, a diver could come as long as he wants uh, and join us in this month. But the usual trip is eight days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it is a long way to go, so. Yeah. You know, so this is this is a one lifetime trip. They come out, they do two trips back to back, or a fifteen day trip, and then they sort of say, yeah. Yeah, and obviously <laughs> it increases your chances to wear tags. So if you don't see yeah. it in the one week, it's highly likely you see it the other week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds brilliant. Like, it does sound incredible. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, give it, give us a shout if you want more. You know about the uh, the trips that we're doing. Uh, we'll certainly keep you posted and posted about what happens. Hopefully this July. If yeah. we make any extraordinary discoveries, uh, we, we tend to publish our failures as well as our successes because, you know, there's going to be a handful of those. Whenever you're working with uh, new techniques or uh, cutting edge technology, uh, at least it's cutting edge for us, you know, there's bound to be hiccups along the way, but that's part of the learning process. Yeah, and you've yeah. got to have that to learn, haven't you, and just develop and, yeah, forward. I think the good, the good thing is that all of the, the groups that are investigating well sharks around uh, different parts of the earth are in contact and we're sharing, we're openly sharing information, data, techniques. And you know, as soon as you've got something that works, you, 
you share it with your, your colleagues. So it's, it's a good community. It's a very tight-knit community. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that you've been talking to the Garfield Conservation Trust. Uh, you know, we're all, at some level, yeah. we're, all, we're all in touch. Yeah, and it's all yeah. kind of good, isn't it? You've all got the same yeah. kind of mission, and yeah, that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's, that's really great that we've been able to spend some time with you. So thank you very much for, um, for joining us and give, you know, giving us your time. Do share anything with us, you know, that you, if, you, if there's anything particular, as you just said, you know, uh, do use us as a sounding board to put the message out there to people. Um, you know, that's what we're here for as well. So we like to keep a, an ongoing conversation, as we said earlier. So okay. do you no, absolutely that? pleasure. You know, when, when we get uh, people that are interested in it, uh, it's fantastic to share the, the knowledge and information. Yeah. So if, yeah, if folks have any questions, they can, as I said, they can find us on social media, so they can also contact us that way. Uh, we're very, very happy to, to share the information. Right. I was just going to say, it's also the unknown, because, you know, I hadn't looked at whale charts before, and just looking at the website, and I was just like completely in awe of kind of, yeah, the unknown aspect of them as well. And it's just, yeah, you just, you know, you can't contemplate it because you think, well, we know about tigers and everything on the, the planet, but under the water, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what really got me going in the beginning was uh, how on earth can it be that there's an animal of this size and this importance, which has been around for so long yeah. and we know absolutely nothing about it. Uh, so it's fascinating to study, but it's, it's, uh, it really is. It's, it's like a real life Jurassic Park situation. Uh, you just step back in time and... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, exactly. And, you know, I think if we share a bit of information about whale sharks to our, on our social media and our listeners, they'll just be blown away. And, yeah, and it oh, just well. makes you want to learn more as well. Yeah. yeah, and they're similar in some ways to basking sharks, which you find commonly around the UK coast. Yes. Uh, and in increasing numbers as well, which is nice to see. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because there are more people now in the oceans reporting it, but certainly recently, especially off the coast of Ireland and so on, you see these fantastic reports of uh, big schools of, well, of uh, basking sharks. They're not actually related. That's one of the first questions that we get. How closely are they related? And it seems that this is just convergent evolution because they're very, very distant mm -hmm. relatives in the dark world. Um, but they, they live in, in similar habitats and they have similar feeding methods and so on. Um, but anyone that's seen a, a basking shark, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those moments that people yeah, change. Same things with whale sharks. So, uh, well, we can all yeah. put it on our bucket list. <laughs> yeah. Well, give us a shout. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. no, I really appreciate your time and totally inspiring. And yeah, I'm sure lots of yeah people will find that way as well. And it'd be great to catch up with you. Yeah, for more information and updates. Yeah, as well. Let's know when you when you start again. You know, in next month, that would be brilliant. Let's just keep us up to date. That'd be brilliant. We'll okay. just keep well, sharing. We probably within the next. Uh, 15 days we should know if it's if it's going to be a reality or not okay. so we'll make a post at that time and then finger, yeah. fingers crossed yeah everything you know the stars are all aligning <laughs> so right. I just I just saw a plane fly across the horizon over here <laughs> it's like okay there are planes flying we might actually get that to go up so, yeah anyway thanks a lot and thanks for everyone uh, who's been listening to us yeah, it's Brilliant. Been Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. 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 What does it all come down to? I've never lost myself without you. Anxiety around me. Bloodshed eyes brighten. I've lost all dreams.
get to nearly 20 meters long there's a speed they swim as well and then they just disappear and no one knows where they've gone and they try and swim along with them to try and put tag on so Mm -hmm. that's against the current that's why it's doing like three or four knots constant and in you all your scuba gear and you're trying to keep up with it to try and put tag on absolutely uh an amazing thing to uh be part of and it's just so much we, it's, it's an expression we've heard uh, time and time again, haven't we? When we talk to Torps, when we talk to Monty, or Hyneth, all these others, you know, and they, they and John Chatterton, they, they all say, don't they? so much we don't know about the sea. And it, and it is true. Yeah, the sea is like another universe. It's 70% of this planet, and we know so little about it. I know, you so, know, and you think it's great big things, and they just disappear. And then they come back and they think, well, don't you think it's also quite good that there's these parts that we don't know? Uh, uh, you know, we, there is still these mysteries. Yeah. It's good to have them. It'd be a boring world if we knew everything. It would. It would. So let's talk about competition. Give you. A, we gave you all a bit of a heads up that there's a, a competition out there. Um, so we had a chat with our friends at Fourth Element and we had a chat with the Galapagos uh, guys, Jenny and uh, Jonathan. And we very and, and very kindly, um, Fourth Element, um, brilliant company. So our great friends at Fourth Element have given us one of their brand new. It's only just now come out. Their expedition duffel bags. So uh, they're bright and shiny. They've got everything that you need. They're lovely and big. You put all your gear in there, and you can use it as a rucksack, as a hold all. Fourth Element, look them up. Brilliant bags. Uh, really top quality so and we're giving one of them away in a competition so I know you all dyed your ass how do we win one of them bags well <laughs> let me tell you coming up so we're going to put out tomorrow or as you listen to this now a sound and a video and it has come from the um, Galapagos whale shark people okay and this clip has gone out to scientists bright people, you know, people who know about these right. things. Bright <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, you know, and they they know about these things and they've listened to it and they took the took the sound apart and they said, right, it's man-made. Some people have gone, no, it's the shark. And some have said it's mechanical, but there were no well, boats in the area. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Nobody knows. Okay. No. So what we are asking for, okay, now you could write in and say, it's the shark. And we could say, yeah, possibly, possibly not. We're not after that. What we're after is your best theory. So what is your best theories? It can be funny, it can be fun, it can be wacky, it can be out there. Uh, we're not judging it. All the answers are all going to go to the Galapagos guys. They're going to judge it. And Fourth Element are very kindly giving us a bag. Did I mention the bag? Yes, the duffel bag, the expedition bag. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the answers just need to be a short sentence, just to keep it short and snappy, tell us what it is, or what you think. And how do they let us know? We would like your answers by email, 
So you can go to the big scuba podcast at gmail.com. Nice and easy. You, you can use the link on the website. So that's another easy way to find the email address or you can just type it in. Yeah. Okay. So uh, have a listen to the clip. It's a brilliant little clip. It's really clear. It was all, it was taken from the, uh, when they were recording Blue Planet, BBC Blue Planet 2 and explains that in the clip. So have a listen, come up with some ideas, see what your theory is, let's have it. We'll forward it on to, the, uh, to Jonathan and Jenny at the Galapagos Wild Shark Project. And while you're there, look them up, look at what they're doing. They need our support as well. The closing date is the 25th of July. Yes. Can I hear that? I quite fancy a bag. Once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just the once, people. Once. Don't send loads. Otherwise, our inbox will just get totally... Yeah. And talking of inboxes, if anybody has got any ideas of who they'd like to see on as a guest or somebody on a little big chat, then send us an email or a direct yeah. message on our social media. Okay. Also, also, so something you wanted us to shout about, then get in contact. It's free, 40 minutes, you know, to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And, you know, 40 minutes in, in the marketing world is and free. Free. It's not bad. Yeah. No, it's not bad. So, you know, get, get in contact, raise your hand and say hello and let us know what you're talking about. There is one or two spaces left before July the 17th. On the if not, we'll, book you in, we'll book you in for August. Okay. Also, um, we have got some great bands. We've, you know, we've been blessed by bands, and we could go to um, the sites and get the free music. We could, you know, but prefer to give people like bands. It's good to work with bands, and it's great that our bands give us this music to use. So, um, you know, hello to them. Tell them truths. Marigolds, Blood Like Honey, and Lumin. Hello to you all if you're listening. Um, but we are always looking out for new bands. If you're a DJ, if you want to share some music, let us know. You know, we'll you know we'll put it out. We use it on YouTube, and we'll put it out on our track. So uh, another reason to get in contact. And also, I know Gemma has mentioned it. Let's just double that up. Uh, we haven't had any letters for a while. So write in, send us your letters. And why are you looking at your phone? Nobody sends letters anymore. <laughs> Emails, social media. They know what I mean. Emails. Letters. We can do letters. Send them in at PO Box, <laughs> Big, Bungie. It'll find us. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Emails, social media. <laughs> just go to our website. In. If you've got any questions, comments, you just want to say hello, we'll read it out on the show. And job done. There we go. Super. Do. So, competition, band, say hello. Let a little big chat, all those sort of things. All right? We want to hear. Go to the website. I think we covered everything. And enjoy. Have a great month. And let's hear us have your answers for the track. Okay. So that's episode twenty, and we'll see you very shortly for episode twenty. See you soon. Okay. Bye. Do you say